Volume One, Chapter Seven of Evelyn or A Heart Unmasked, a novel by Anna Cora Mowat. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor, Chapter Seven. You are not here. The quaint witch memory sees in vacant chairs your absent images and points where once you sat and now should be shelley from the same to the same december fourth i have just interrupted a tete-a-tete by a malapro visit to mrs willard but those i disturbed cannot be more provoked at my intrusion than i am myself what can be more disagreeable than to feel yourself unexpectedly de trop to wish to retire and to be forced to remain by the overstrained politeness of the person you are visiting who insists on your stay yet wishes you at the greatest possible distance as i opened mrs willard's parlour door i observed her sitting upon the sofa knitting her endless lace edging and listening with cool civility to her son-in-law who was persuading her to give her consent to his wishes which were apparently much at variance with her own but let me entreat you why should you object indeed we cannot get along without you were the words that greeted my ear as i stepped into the room my first impulse was to withdraw but mrs willard had already become aware of my presence and insisted that i should remain i objected but she would not listen to an excuse no allusion was made to the subject lately discussed by mr merritt and herself for about ten minutes we conversed on different topics that is started a subject of conversation in which we took no interest pursued it with forced energy turned it on every side examined it amplified upon it as schoolgirls in their compositions and let it die a natural death in spite of our efforts to prolong its existence then racked our brains for another topic which shared the same fate mr merritt was too thoroughly polite to seem discomposed by my presence but as i pride myself upon a faculty of divining the feeling of those with whom i associate i thought that i read his and in less than a quarter of an hour resolutely insisted on retiring i have not the slightest doubt that mr merritt is at this very moment entreating mrs willard to return to his house and make it her permanent home and that she concealing her secret gratification is assuring him that she cannot think of doing such a thing that she never intended to pass more than a few months with him that she confesses to some pride too much indeed to permit her to be a burden upon those most dear to her then mr merritt will renew his entreaties she will become more immovable he will grow warmer in his petitions 
And finally, she will give a reluctant consent. Pray, admire my clairvoyance. Exactly what I described to you took place. An hour ago, Mrs. Willard came to inform me that they were making preparations to return instantly to her son-in-law's, that she had for a long time withstood his entreaties, but at last was forced to yield to them, etc., etc., etc. She begged to know my opinion on the subject of her removal, and what opinion could I venture to give except precisely such a one as she desired to hear? Expedition is the soul of action, says some wise man, and amen, responds Mrs. Willard, as she puts the precept into practice. Day before yesterday, at noon, the idea of Mrs. Willard's returning to her daughter's had not been suggested. Yesterday, before noon, a large spring cart and carriage stood before Fleecer's door, and Mr. Fleecer himself was stationed in the entry with an ominous-looking slip of paper in his hand. Upon this bit of paper certain figures were inscribed, which I am afraid Mrs. Willard would be obliged to study the new system of monomics to impress on her memory. Just as the clock struck twelve, Mrs. Willard, cloaked and bonneted, descended the stairs and was greeted by Mr. Fleecer with whom she exchanged a few whispered words, evidently satisfactory to both parties. The portentous paper was returned to Mr. Fleecer's pocket, and Mrs. Willard passed on. Ellen followed her mother, and with downcast eyes hurried by Fleecer. Poor Ellen! Her mother's total absence of sensibility has endowed her with a double portion. I brought up the rear, escorted by Mr. Willard, who carefully divided his attention between a couple of bundles, one in either hand, and myself. Mrs. Willard had petitioned me to accompany them, as my assistance would expedite their arrangements, and she was determined that no appearance of bustle and confusion should greet Mr. Merritt on his return to dinner. The last trunk was strapped on the cart, the last bandbox stowed in the carriage, and we all took our seats, diminishing our usual dimensions in a manner which permitted us to perform the duties of wedges, between which more damageable baggage was packed. When we arrived in Union Square, we found Evelyn watching for us at the window. She flew to the door before it could be opened by the waiter, and, too impatient to permit us to alight, leapt into the carriage and kissed us all in turn, accompanying every kiss with a delighted welcome, and crushing bandboxes and treading upon carpet bags and dressing cases with perfect unconcern. We commenced unpacking the moment we entered the house, though Evelyn's mischievous gaiety continually impeded our progress, everything was in perfect order, the entry swept, the trunks out of sight, in the attic, and the family circle assembled in the parlor before the sound of Mr. Merritt's night key was heard in the lock of the street door. 
Mrs. Willard met him in the entry and greeted him as hostess would greet an honored guest. The dinner passed off gaily, for Mrs. Willard had already paid a visit to the kitchen, and we were all hungry and in good spirits. When I say all hungry, I should say except Evelyn, for excitement and preoccupation invariably destroy her appetite when her mind is nourished, her corporeal parts fast without suffering. In the evening, a visitor was announced, who inquired for Mrs. Willard. He was ushered into the drawing-room, and she presented Colonel Damoreau to Evelyn and her husband. Mr. Merritt was evidently struck with the noble appearance of the colonel, and saluted him as he always salutes a man whom he has made up his mind is a gentleman. Evelyn, as she curtsied, blushed most charmingly, and I did not wonder at her confusion when I remarked the evident admiration which sparkled in the colonel's dark eyes as he regarded her. I have seldom seen a man more perfectly at ease in society, or one who possessed in a higher degree the gift of searching out and bringing to light the good quality of others than Colonel Damoreau. He is not only witty himself, but has the art of finding wit in everybody else, or rather of giving a brilliant interpretation to casual expressions. His manner almost insensibly inspires you with the belief that your lightest words are worth listening to. You are constantly surprised by discovering that you have uttered some sentiment deserving attention. In short, he is endowed with the inestimable faculty of making you pleased with yourself, which is the surest way of rendering you pleased with him. Everything that he says impresses you agreeably, and yet you retain no distinct recollection of any particular sentence or idea, for the fascination lies in the manner, not in the words. Occasionally he is sarcastic, but his sarcasm is sprightly, not bitter. In his most trivial words or actions there is an implied homage, a deferential respect which is particularly gratifying, I think I may say, to all women. But above all, I admire his apparent total forgetfulness of self. He forces you to think of him, while he seldom appears to remember his own existence. I never saw Evelyn more brilliant than she was last evening. She may have been excited by the occurrences of the day, or Colonel Damoreau's manner, which made her constantly feel that every action, look, and syllable was appreciated, may have inspired her, but she certainly surpassed herself. Neither did her conversation consist solely in bandage. Her vivacity assumed a new tone. She conversed with enthusiasm on the gravest subjects, and evinced judgment, taste, and more reflection than I imagined that she possessed. If Colonel Damoreau was not charmed, Mr. Merritt was, or his eyes spoke falsely, I think I may say that evening was a delightful one to all of us except Mr. Willard. He is unfortunately suffering from dyspepsia. 
which is attended by a strong inclination to lethargy. Even while he is speaking, his eyelids slowly droop, his hands become powerless, his limbs relax, and he sinks into a species of half-conscious sleep, from which, unaided, he cannot rouse himself. Mrs. Willard is careful to place herself in a position where she can wake him at short intervals, but if your attention is diverted, the spirit of heaviness again possesses him, and he is quickly overpowered. It is a question in my mind whether persons who have some great object in life which induces mental activity are ever subject to this new fashion complaint called dyspepsia. End of chapter 7